Welcome back to the After Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Francisco Delator. Co-host today, I got Daniel March. And Howdy. We're, <laughs> and we're joined with Dave Haas from the Treehouse Bar uh, in Windsor, Canada. How you doing, Dave? Good, good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, man, it's our pleasure. I've uh, been to the Treehouse probably five or six times, usually, you know, when I was younger, because I'm from Michigan, so we don't need a passport. We just need an enhanced ID, go over the border when we're 19 and have a good time. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, Americans are a big part of our clientele. You know, we're only a mile from Detroit, so we get people from all over the place. So Ohio, New York, Illinois, uh, Wisconsin, they come from all over the place to uh, come downtown Windsor. Yeah, and downtown Windsor, I'd say, is pretty rated for like underrated for uh, a night night scene, I guess, just because, I mean, that one strip roulette has like eight or nine bars that you can visit easily in one night. So I, I really like going there personally. Yeah, it's a good vibe down there, and uh, you know it's changed a lot over the years. But uh, there is there is that real big advantage that you do have, like like you said, eight or nine bars, or probably even more than that, in a close little proximity, so you can bar hop from place to place. It's you know if it wasn't for the the laws and uh, in Canada, like Windsor could be like the Nashville of uh, of uh, Ontario, but uh, we just don't uh, allow that kind of fun to be had. <laughs> so Frank was actually telling me earlier about how there's a bar basically right next to you. Do you kind of see that as competition or friendly rivalry or how, how does that all go down? No, actually I have like a complete opposite view on competition. Like I don't even consider anybody out there like really competition with me. I believe in cooperation rather than competition. So every time a new bar has opened, yeah, every now and then I get a little bit of fear inside of me, like thinking, Oh no, they're going to take my business. But every single time my business ends up increasing because they just attract more people downtown. And you know, especially people when they first get into the, the bar business, they're they're eager and they're, they want to promote like crazy. So what they do is they end up promoting and bringing more people downtown. And because of the nature of downtown Windsor, people pretty much never just go to one bar, you know, so they're going to go and then they're going to hop around to other bars. Yeah. And then the casino is right there, too. It's a 10 minute walk, not even. So it's definitely like a good little spot where you can go and drink for a little bit, go to the casino and gamble, go get some good food and then go back and go back to the bars, you know. So that's how that's how my experience has been. It's always like a little uh, diversity throughout the night, changing it up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. And you can just go to different spots. The cover charges are not high. And for the Americans with the, the dollar exchange, you know, it's it's a great value because even a five dollar cover is really like three bucks to you guys. So it's next to nothing. Yeah, I feel like royalty when I walk in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The most painful thing, though, is if you're at the casino and you win like decently big and then you change in your chips to go back to the U.S., you're like, oh, shit, I really didn't win that much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. You know, especially because we're dollars. You guys are dollars, too. So you're thinking you're winning U.S. dollars and then you convert it over. But when I go to the States and I go to the casinos, it's amazing for me because I get more money back. Yep. <laughs> that's true. So, Dave, how long have you been in business and how did you get started at the Treehouse? Yeah, well, I'm actually the oldest bar downtown Windsor. I've been in business for 20 years, if you can believe that. I started off in the bar business um, pretty like organically. Um, I was going to university. I uh, have always been an entrepreneur my whole life. Uh, I always tell this story on my platforms about um, when I was like a nine-year-old kid. I lived like in the county, like really rural county. And uh, there was like this tomato truck, like a wagon and a tractor that had like blown a tire and tomatoes spilt all over the road. And 
I went around and like picked up all the tomatoes and then I went to my neighbor's houses and sold them all to them. <laughs> so like right from a very young age, I knew I was an entrepreneur. So when I was 16, I started, my first company was called squeaky clean window washing. And I literally just washed people's windows at their houses. And that company grew really quickly because it's just, cause I was like just a young kid. I was energetic. I was eager. I did amazing work. I was personable and uh, people like me. So I went from having zero customers to having about 500 customers that would call upon me two or three times a year to come and clean their windows. And uh, eventually I started doing a lot of higher end homes. And, you know, so I'd be doing these big gigantic jobs and um, raking in some cash. So while I was doing that, and then I, I transferred and I was in university for business. And then I got a nighttime job at um, a local bar called Rush Nightclub. Uh, which was these guys from uh, Guelph, which is a, a town just north of Windsor, well, a couple hours north of Windsor. And uh, they took me under their wing and they made me a bartender. And from that moment, I was kind of like hooked on the whole bar business nightlife. I then uh, I became a manager for them. And then eventually I sold my window washing company, which I was still operating while I had the, while I had the bartending gig. And I sold that company, grabbed some cash from there. And then plus I was making a ton of money and tips. Like, you know, we were making crazy money. I was, and I was banking a lot of that. I got a loan from uh, a girlfriend's parents and I bought into Treehouse, uh, which was already there for about a year, but it was more of a restaurant than it was a bar. And uh, over the years, I kind of made the conversion to uh, the nightlife kind of thing as well. And uh, it just kind of grew from there and blossomed. So how nice are Treehouse's windows? <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, they're actually not as good as they should be because I've now delegated all of that uh, work to uh, my employees and they, they don't keep them as clean as I would like. But, uh, you know, in the summer, we have the garage door open at Treehouse. So you don't, the only, there's only one door that you see, which is the, uh, the entrance of the door, uh, entrance like door. But they still don't keep that as clean as I'd like them to. It's fair. You mentioned um, you have one of the older bars in the area. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the oldest bar downtown Windsor. So that makes me wonder. We have a question that we ask just about every podcast. With it being the oldest bar, have you heard or seen of any paranormal activity in the facility? Uh, no, actually, um, we haven't seen or heard anything. I think I know, but the, my building that I'm in uh, was built in uh, like 1902 or something along those lines, and it's been converted many times into many different businesses, but. Uh, no ghost, but I tell you one thing, it is actually, if you're in there at night and I remember this happening multiple times, like you're closing up the bars three, three in the morning, four in the morning. And it does get like that little creepy kind of feeling when it's dark in there and you got to shut the lights off and kind of run out the door. You get that extra little boost of energy as you scoot out the door there. Uh, that's spooky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I haven't seen any ghosts though. That's why you're asking. <laughs> Do you have any personal ghost stories outside of working at Treehouse? Um, yeah, the one ghost story that I uh, really always tell people is that, and this is a, 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 it's a hearsay, I think that's how all ghost stories go, but uh, my aunt had a friend that lived in a house that was essentially haunted, and it was haunted so much so that they moved because they would like leave the room and they would come back in the room and all the cupboard doors would be opened and they felt like this was like a hostile ghost. So they were like, screw this, we're leaving. And uh, when they were taking the picture, the real estate picture to, to sell the house, uh, one of the pictures, there was a picture of like a little girl's face in the corner. And uh, that was like, that was it for them. They sold the house and they were like, we're getting the hell out of here. Yeah, dude, I'd be scared shitless. I, there's no way <laughs> you could pay me to live in that house. 
exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> so you guys are one of the oldest in Windsor, and you were kind of the pioneer to bring out the nightlife in Windsor. Uh, why did you choose downtown Windsor, Ontario as a place that it seemed like 20 years ago really wasn't a nightlife hotspot? Well, actually, you know what? It was, uh, believe it or not. Um, it wasn't as big as it is now. Um, but the people that I worked for at Rush Nightclub, they saw the opportunity that was in Windsor just because of the American clientele. Like back 20 years ago, the amount of people that were coming across the border every single weekend were just flooding the bars. Like literally, you could not go out downtown Windsor Friday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday night without waiting in line and like early, like at eight, nine o'clock. And back then there was only like about three or four bars that really held the market. Um, all of them, which don't exist anymore. It was a Woody's Outhouse, Bentley's, Joker's. And then there was another one. It was called Hell at the Moon, but I don't know if it had a different name before that. But anyways, those four bars were basically uh, catering to this huge clientele. So when other people started recognizing this potential that was happening, um, they started flooding the market. And that's when you started to see like a real influx of bars. Um, that's where Rush Nightclub, where the original place I got started out, started was that these guys from Guelph saw the opportunity in Windsor and they came down and were like, let's make this like a, a bar scene. And there was actually two guys that came down from Guelph and they became competitors, uh, but they were both operating bars. And then from there, it just kept on growing because people were seeing the opportunity with the American clientele coming over. So we talked a little bit about the past. Uh, let's go ahead and move towards the present. How has Street House been dealing with coronavirus and have you guys started to open back up or how has everything been going? No, I mean, unfortunately, um, Canada is, uh, you know, way more conservative than uh, than America is. And we are like uh, in lockdown still. We're slowly starting to open up some businesses, but this is like the essential uh, services such as like chiropractic, that kind of stuff. Things like um, Home Depot and stuff are starting to open, but it's very restricted about how you can go in. So I think the, the bars are going to be pretty much last on the list with regards to reopening. Um, so at Treehouse, all we've been doing during this time is just focusing on renovating, uh, sprucing the place up because we want to be ready for when we do reopen and people have, uh, you know, we put a whole new floor in the place, which has been a burden for me for the whole 20 years that I've, I've owned it because it just, just takes so much abuse. So I finally put like a, a porcelain tile floor through the whole place. We resurfaced the whole front of the bar. We redid the kitchen. We did, we did so much work. So when people come back, they're going to come back to a pristine clean, which I guess is going to be good because of the coronavirus. Uh, but also they'll have something to look at, uh, you know, uh, just a, a new atmosphere inside inside the bar. Yeah, because when I talked to Dave originally last week, I was like, yeah, we should definitely come down uh, to Windsor and record it there. But we can't even go over the border. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I right. definitely want it. It's, it's crazy. And then I have a buddy that lives up in uh, Newfoundland. And he was telling me like nothing, like literally nothing is open there. And it, he just says, it's crazy. Like it's, it's so boring. And the only thing you can really do is go to the grocery store. So I yeah. can imagine. Yeah. And that's it. And like, you know, I mean, our cases compared to the United States are like, they're nothing. I don't, I don't even know what the number is, but uh, cause I'm not like a big news watcher. So uh, I don't know, but I know it's like, it's, you know, like, let's say it's like, maybe it's like a 30, 30,000, 40,000 cases that we have here in Canada. And uh, we are like taking it like we have as many as you guys do. So um, this it's a lot of fear and um, people are paranoid and I get it. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out 
with regards to, uh, you know, like are people going to pack back into bars? I mean, like what Treehouse is, is built on is, you know, jamming people into that place because they want to be like, this is always one of the things I've said, a part of like, you know, being successful in the bar. It's like, we, we have very strict capacities. Like, you know, we will have liquor inspectors in our bar. And this is what I was talking about that they won't allow the fun. We'll have them in our bar every other weekend, right? To make sure that we're not going over capacity. We're not over serving people. So they don't really allow the fun to happen, but there's a very fine line for us. Like we have to run right at full capacity because if we don't, let's say we run 20 under to play it safe. So we don't get in trouble with the liquor inspectors. What will people say? Oh, Trios was dead, dead last weekend. Right. Even though we were only 20 below our capacity. So we got to keep it jam packed. And that's been the nature of the beast for 20 years uh, in the bar business. So now with this coronavirus is like, what's going to happen. That's the, the big question is, are people going to pack back into the bars again like they once did? Is it going to take years for this to, uh, you know, leave people's minds and feel safe again? These are the big unknowns that I think all bar owners, restaurateurs are really asking themselves. So what have you been doing to pass the time? Well, I mean, I'm a, I have another business, which is I'm a basically a, I call myself a personal achievement specialist, which is basically a, a fancy word for being a life coach and I, I've been in business since I was 16, I'm 41 now. So 25 years I've been an entrepreneur. So I just like help people, you know, get to where they want to go faster. And uh, so that business is like a big part of what I'm doing. It's kind of like what has, you know, uh, I've kind of stepped away from running the full operations of the bar. I have an amazing manager that's, that's uh, taken over the operations there. So I basically manage Treehouse now in about one meeting a week. That's about two or three hours. And then uh, my staff and my GM are taking on everything else. So during the time I'm doing, I'm, I'm renovating the bar. So we got a big renovation going on there. And then also I'm running my other, my other coaching business. Yeah, I actually saw your website a couple of days ago. I really liked it. Very nice looking website. Uh, one of the things that kind of stuck out to me was I saw a video on how to deal with uh, going through depression, just continue working. I thought that was a very... Uh, Getting getting personal now, but a very relatable video because you know there, there are times where you know I might be feeling in that kind of depressing mood, but I still you know I need to you know work and everything and really push myself. Yeah, and I think you know I think that's been and not to, I know this is a usually a laid back podcast when we're talking about depression and stuff, but I think it's good. This is where this is where it needed to go, you know. Um, but I think the big thing for people that find themselves getting depressed and you know find themselves stressed and anxious, I mean, this has been highlighted right now because we're all like you know not doing anything, and you know that's when depression and anxiety and stress really comes to the forefront. So it's like the less you do the more that that depression and anxiety starts to have power over you. So, you know, you got to stay moving and keep, you know, you don't have to be grinding and hustling, but you just need to continuously be growing, whatever that looks like for you. You know, so for some people, it's about learning more. For some people, it's about opening businesses. For some people, it's about, uh, you know, getting into amazing shape. But as long as you continue to move forward, it doesn't allow room for that depression and the anxiety to kind of sneak in. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That was well said. And uh, from the Ohio side, we've actually started to open up and we're seeing now that the bar scene isn't what it used to be. There's more of a new normal now with regards to like capacity. You can only have what 40% of what you, what you used to get have was a hundred percent. And also, you know, servers have to wear masks. They have to wear gloves. Uh, you can't have tables that are more than I believe eight people in Ohio. 
and tables have to be separated by at least six feet from one another. So it really is different when going out uh, to the bars now, at least in Ohio. Yeah. And I actually, uh, so I was celebrating my brother's 21st birthday party about a week ago. We had it. We went out to a local B-dubs and we were the only family there and it was kind of cool, but also really sad. But um, yeah. it was just, yeah, it was crazy just to, to see an empty B-dubs. It's very echoey and uh, yeah, it was, it was very surreal. Yeah. And I think that's like, I mean, you know, I, we keep hearing that word, the new normal and um, it's until people are able to feel safe again, because every, like I said earlier, it's like everyone's in fear mode, you know, and um, they think that they're going to go out there and get, catch this, this uh, virus. So uh, until they have safety and I don't know how that safety is going to come, whether it's they transcend the fear or whether uh, there's a vaccine or whatever the heck it is. I mean, I think we're, we're, you know, when this thing originally went down, I remember we made the call to close. I was in Florida, actually. I, uh, uh, every year I go to Florida with my family for a month. And it was March 16th, the day before St. Patrick's Day. And I'm in a group chat with all these other bar owners. And I basically laid it out. I said, guys, I think we need to close. Like, you know, people are not going to stand for it. And I was like, I could see the headlines now. It's like greedy bar owners still open, even though the coronavirus is coming for us all or whatever the headline was going to be. And I said, we got to close. And like and the, the decision that, uh, you know, was like a $20,000 decision for me, you know, we had to make that difficult decision. And, and then in that time, I was already looking to the future. I'm like, you know, this thing's going to pass. And, you know, after a couple of months, let's do a like a St. Patrick's Day in the summer or whatever it may be. But now I'm starting to look at this thing going like, are we going to open this year? You know, and I just don't know what the mindset is with regards to the government. And and, and in the States, you guys are a little bit better because you are starting to open up. But it's like, how long can you allow these businesses to uh, to struggle? Like Canada has been really good and they've, they've offered a lot of support, but it's still not enough. You know, like I'm lucky I own my building. So I just was able to defer my mortgage. Plus, Trios is in a good position because we've been around for so long and we have good cash reserves. So we're going to be there. But I know, like I said, this uh, in a lot of my content is that if this would have happened to me 10 years ago, I would have been dead on day two. Like I would have been out of business on day two. And this is what you're seeing in Michigan, right? It's like your hometown there. And there's, there's like 60 businesses closing a week, you know, and that's like a that's a real concern. You know, uh, Hertz rental car just claimed bankruptcy. It's like this is a company that's been around for 100 years. So. There is going to come a time, and not to get overly political here, but there is going to come a time where we need to make a decision of like what is the the lesser of two evils here, right? And uh, we're going to have to somehow overcome this. Uh, I don't know what the solution is at this time, but um, it's it's scary for for bar owners. I tell you, like you say, that new normal is like what is that new normal? And I I personally think for me that if I didn't have government restrictions, I could open tomorrow and I could pack my bar because my clientele is young and I don't think they're that worried about it. But I don't think the government's going to allow us to do that. Yeah, I promise you, you would not have an issue packing the bar because the uh, the bar and girl that's right next to University of Toledo, which is where Dan and I go to school, uh, when they could open up it, exactly two weeks ago, actually, they opened up the very first night. They may or may not have... <laughs> Obeyed, or obeyed the law and uh, they were beyond max capacity within an hour because that was the only yeah. bar that would that could like they were staffed ready to serve everybody and stuff like that and I don't know Dan you might have to cut that out I'm not sure but yeah we didn't we didn't say the name 
a local bar. <laughs> a local Toledo bar, right next to the university. Um, so yeah, they got they got a presentation for that, and they they can't open up. They're not like forced to close or anything, but they're taking this time to learn from their mistakes, quote unquote. So um, yeah. I, I promise you wouldn't have an issue with people in your bar. Young people are still more than willing to go out, at least in the States. I don't know, Canada. but yeah, and I think also people are getting stir crazy too. Like you see it, like I'm sure you guys see it around your, your area too. It's like, you know, my friends and family who were like the, the strictest of the strict when this thing happened, you know, they're starting to, you know, they'll come over for driveway visits or backyard visits, whereas before they practically wouldn't even leave their house. So you can sense it that people are like, okay, enough is enough. Right. Like, let's get back to uh, connecting with people and uh, let's get back to going out and having fun and eating dinner. You know, let's be in the community again. I think people are like really craving that. So that hopefully that desire will eventually overcome the fear that they have about getting uh, the coronavirus. Yeah. And I think that's part of it, too, is like maybe not causing depression, but people are feeling lonely now because they have no societal validation. Whereas before you could go out with your friends and they, you know, they gas you up, be like, yo, those are some sick shoes or, you know, like whatever. You just chug that beer so fast. I don't know uh, what the kids are saying these days, but <laughs> people are definitely missing that sense of community, especially when, especially with beer and alcohol and just having a good time being able to relax. Now everyone's just so on edge. It's it's kind of killing the vibe, honestly. Yeah, people are missing that escape and being able to let loose. And that's like one of the things that, I, that I've that i recognized at Treehouse is that, you know, one of the, the things I think that we provide is we give people that escape. We allow people to go and have fun and we want them to do that in a manner that is like respectful and nonviolent and these kinds of things. But, you know, it's just finally like get, get the opportunity to go. And now when you take that away, you realize that, oh, we, we, had, we played a part. As much as people like to shit on bars, we play, we play a part in allowing people to have that escape from their day to day. Uh, allowing people to reconnect and connect with connect with old friends and reconnect with new friends or, or make a connection with new friends. I think that everyone's starting to recognize it. They're starting to realize that they miss it. And I do believe if the government will allow us that when we open, we'll be we'll be back on track. What's the thing you're looking forward to most once we need to open back up? You know, for me, it's just I just love I just love being an entrepreneur. You know, like I just love every aspect of business. Um, you know, my mind goes all the time on like what ideas, what promotions. How can we provide the most amazing amount of value? How can we train our staff better? It's like, this is the stuff that I get off on and it's weird, but that's what I want to do. So it's just like, just getting, uh, you know, getting the engine going again on how we're going to bring people through the doors and how when they come through the doors, we're going to make sure that they're having the best experience. Like that's the kind of stuff that I just feed off of and uh, connecting with my staff and uh, that creativity and, and connecting with customers too. I mean, if you guys ever came to the, you know, uh, Frank, you said you came to Treehouse before. It's like you probably saw me standing right out front. You, you didn't know who I was, but I'm like standing right out front. <laughs> I, I stood right out front of Treehouse for probably the first 18 years that I ran that bar, right? And the reason I did that was because I like I loved interacting with my staff. The doorman and I and everyone would out there be joking around and my promoters. And then also, though, every single customer that came through the door, the ones that I recognized, I would go up to and talk to. The new ones, I would joke around with them. Like I love checking people's IDs and making fun of their picture and that kind of thing. So just that connection, I guess, that what I was talking about earlier, that's that's what I can't wait to get back to. And even though I've kind of removed myself now, like I just had a baby, so I'm kind of like stepping away from the nightlife. But even now, I'm like, because it's been, it's been so long, like when this thing does open back up, I know I'm going to start coming in there on some Friday and Saturday nights to uh, start connecting with everyone again. First off, congrats on the newborn. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. 
Secondly, you know, you're a life, lifelong entrepreneur. What, uh, what tips would you give to other people that are looking to break from the societal norm and become their own boss? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if you follow my content, like this is what I've been digging into a lot lately. And here's the here's the one piece of advice that I think was the ultimate game changer for me. It was that my whole entire life, I was obsessed with trying to figure out how to become successful, right? And this is where I think everyone gets stuck. They're like, how do I open up a bar? How do I start my first company? And this is the only realization that you need to make. Well, there's two. The first part is this the how will get answered in action. And you hear Gary Vee talking about this shit all the time. It's like, just go do it, right? But he's not really saying it the way it needs to be said. I think it's like, if you just get into action, regardless of whether it's the proper course of action or not, the how will be revealed, right? So if you want to open up a bar, start figuring out what you got to do to open a bar. I'm sure if I gave you, if I said to you, Frank, I said like, what are the five things you need to do to, to open up a bar, you know, in, in six months? I'm sure you could come up with a list of five things that you could that you could start doing, right? So it's just you start getting into action. And as you get into action, you start learning more and you start realizing what works and what doesn't work. So the how will be revealed to you through action. That is the number one. But then the second thing I think is the most important thing for people is that now that you've realized that all you got to do is take action and learn from that action and grow, the real question will be, why aren't you taking the action? Right. And this is when you got to start digging into your your belief systems and, you know, uh, the programs and whatever you bought into uh, what your parents have been telling you to go get a job with benefits and this kind of shit. Right. It's like these are the things that you got to start digging into because all of those things are your blocks to executing on whatever it is you want to achieve. So just to reiterate, it's like just get into action. And then the how the how is no longer a question. So you could stop obsessing about it. It's going to be revealed to you. But the second is once you know that. Why aren't you going out and doing it and learn to tune into those resistances and then learn how to move past them? Well said. And that's something that gets brought up a lot now on social media is a entrepreneur, someone that has all these good ideas, but is too afraid to execute or uh, they don't know how to execute or they're afraid of failing and stuff like that. And really to become that entrepreneur, you have to be willing to be vulnerable, fail, but then also realize that what is ahead of you is worth failing for. And I think you summed that up very nicely. And one part in our entrepreneurial journey, Dan and I and our team, is that we've had great mentors along the way. And that's helped tremendously just direct us where we need to go. Is there anybody in your life that has helped you out in direction? Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's why I became a coach is because I believe in the power of being coached. And that that, that is the critical factor that allowed me to be where I am today, right? It was having a good mentor. My mentor actually came to me from the bar business. His, uh, his name's Andrew Faka. When I bought into Treehouse, there was three partners. I bought one of them out over the course of the time. Andrew and I bought the third. And then finally, I ended up buying Andrew out completely. But Andrew was my mentor. He was a guy that had achieved a high level of success in his life. And not only did he coach me on how to make the bar busier, but he really coached me on on the mindset aspect of everything and how to get in tune with what those resistances were and taught me how to move past them so I could have the level of success that I have today. What would you say is the biggest thing you learned from him? The biggest thing I learned from him was that it's all about awareness. Okay. So without the awareness of a problem, you can't resolve the problem. So what he first taught me, he actually made a movie about it. Uh, it's this movie called Voyage to Betterment. He's like a, he, he, at the time he was like a hardcore vegan and he believed in the power of food to heal you from all illness and disease. And I was a hardcore meat eater and 
he basically could see where my life was headed if I stayed on that path. And he said, hey, listen, why don't I put you on this 30-day challenge and you're going to eat the way I eat and you're going to reduce your alcohol consumption and all these things and we'll see what happens. And what he had done was uh, he had had blood tests. So I took blood tests before the test and they they came to this thing called Know Your Number and Biggest Loser later adapted that Know Your Number, which is basically what are your risks of getting diseases if you continue on this lifestyle? So I did the blood test. I went on his diet for 30 days, which was basically a completely vegan diet. But although he said, if you want to eat animal products, you can, but only twice a week. Trying to make this story shorter, at the end of the 30 days, I had lost like 25 pounds. Like I literally melted away and people were like, what in the fuck are you doing? Like they wanted to know, right? All of my risk for illness had reduced by over 50%. My cholesterol dropped by an entire point. And all of that was made possible because I became aware of what I was putting into my body. So that level of awareness, I then began to apply into every aspect of my life. If I was constantly angry, I needed to create awareness around anger and learn how to transcend it. If I was constantly in scarcity mindset, meaning I never had enough, I needed to learn about where that scarcity mindset began, create more awareness around it so that I could move into abundance. If my finances were all out of order and I was spending too much money, I needed to create a spreadsheet to get every dollar that I spent so I could see it and I could have awareness. So I guess the best thing he taught me was about creating the awareness because without that awareness, we can't solve anything. That is one of the craziest stories I've ever heard is that he made you blood <laughs> test. Yeah. I, mean, I, I love it, but it, it comes from that, that place of, I guess, insanity that entrepreneurs have. And I say insanity in like the best way possible because you really can't achieve being a successful entrepreneur unless you live, breathe and die by this shit, you know? Um, but no, that's yeah. just a, that's one of the best stories I've heard in a while. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, no, that's a great story. Yeah. So do you still carry on with, uh, the same dietary, um, restrictions to this day? Yeah. After I, um, after that was revealed to me, it was like, it was kind of like, uh, you know, once you see it, you can't unsee it for me. And, um, I, I'm still, I'm still a vegetarian, um, not a vegan, but I pretty much eat a 90% vegan diet. Uh, I actually, I actually don't drink alcohol anymore either, which is kind of hilarious that I'm a bar owner. Um, but I made the decision, uh, oh man, nine years ago to, uh, just to stop. And now I'm kind of like the, the drug dealer that doesn't use his own product kind of thing. Right. <laughs> and, um, and not that I have anything, not that I think that people shouldn't drink. Obviously I own a bar and I, you know, as long as you can keep it under control. But for me, what I found was that was one of my barriers to success was, was alcohol because in the bar, I'm like, I wasn't, I don't even know if I would consider myself uh, an alcoholic because I never had alcohol at home or anything, but I was in the bar seven nights a week. Right. And then, you know, Frankie, you would come in and you'd be like, Hey, let's have a beer together. And then, you know, you would leave an hour later and then someone else would show up. It was like, you always had someone to drink with. Right. It just started to become a problem for me. And I was like, this is blocking me from where I want to be in my life. And I had to come to like, I had to go through a real deep spiritual journey to understand how to finally be free of it. Cause I tried all kinds of different variations. I have a saying that I tried every variation of moderation, meaning I tried only drinking on weekends. I tried only drinking on vacation and just, it never worked for me. So I finally said, well, this isn't working. I got to cut it. And I made some realizations to do that. And my life completely transformed because of that. So definitely it was about the awareness that he created for me around food. And then I just started, like I said earlier, spilling it over into other areas of my life where I needed to bring that awareness to. Yeah. And I can confirm some of those bartenders uh, in Windsor and in Canada in general, uh, they do like to have a good time. 
and they'd like to make sure that the guest feels included in the experience. Uh, I've been to a couple bars where I've seen some bartenders drink more than I was. Uh, and I was like happy. I was like, yes, go get them, drink more. But then I was also concerned. I was like, should you just be getting shit faced on the job? But, and it wasn't right. at your establishment, obviously. I've been in Toronto, I've been in Montreal, I've been everywhere. Um, but the, the bartenders in Canada do it a little bit different than here in the States. And I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, that's what you gotta like, I mean, as a, and you know, this is a, this is a podcast about people that are interested in the bar business and, you know, as a bar owner, I mean, you got to have control over your costs and, and you know, you guys in, in the States are lucky because your costs are so low. How much does it cost you guys for a case of beer? Oh, I like, mean, if I'm getting some more beer, beer yeah. white. About ten, yeah, yeah, like ten dollars, yeah, like twelve maybe. What do you think a case of beer costs in, in Windsor? Like Getting Coors Light, LC. Coors Light. How much is a case of twenty-four Coors Light? How much do you think it costs? Oh, probably like twenty-two. It's a, like forty-two dollars. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. So this is the price you pay for a free healthcare, <laughs> right? So in my business in Canada controlling your cost is insanely important. You know, and I always said like business is insanely simple. It's like create as many sales as you possibly can, as much sales as you possibly can, and then control your costs. And if you learn how to do that in the bar business, you're going to be successful. But unfortunately in the bar business, giving your friend a free drink is acceptable. And that essentially is stealing, right? So it's like uh, having a drink behind the bar, overpouring a, a buddy, making sure a customer gets a free birthday shot. These are all things that we do, but if they get out of hand, you can lose big money. Like let's just say, for example, like for us, because we have low drink prices and we have high product costs, meaning a case of beer costs 40 bucks. If you're not watching that, you know, so if you did a million dollars in sales and your product cost is 40%, that's $400,000 you spent in product, right? If you are off by 5%, that just costs you 50 grand in the year. When you're operating in margins that you're only making about 20% profitability, meaning you're only making 200,000 if you do a million, that $50,000 hurts. You need to learn how to control your costs and you can't do it if you're drunk. That is very true. Uh, a lot of my worst mistakes have happened while I was drunk. So <laughs> <laughs> I have many of them too. <laughs> Not in this alone. I love it. So going back to your, your current diet is, is there anything that you miss about your previous diet? No, not really. Uh, you know, it's funny because uh, when I made the decision to go vegetarian, I thought that I was going to miss out on meat. But then I, as I tuned into who I was as a kid, I remember being like a little kid and I could never swallow meat. I remember like always having to spit out steak as like a, you know, whatever, however old you are to remember, maybe seven or eight. And so it really, I think, was just getting me realigned with who I truly was, you know, and um, I originally did it for the health benefits. Like I wasn't about the animals and it wasn't that big of a deal to me. But now it's kind of come full circle for me. And, and, I, and it's like, that's what I meant. It's like once you kind of look behind that door, you can't not see it anymore, you know. So because of uh, the path that I've gone down and I just I can't I can't unsee what I've seen. And I'll never I'll, I know I'll never go back to, to eating animals ever again. And you know what? You, you adapt. You know, it's like uh, the world when I went, I've been veg for 15 years, right? It was a long time. And when I went veg, you couldn't get a vegetarian meal anywhere. Like there was no veggie burgers on menus. And now it's like it's all over the place. You know, like your options are unlimited now. So I don't really miss out on anything. I just always like adapt my whatever it is I'm going to eat. You know, I can go to Taco Bell instead of getting beef on my tacos. I get beans. You know, it's it's really that simple. Mm-hmm. 
That was something I noticed probably like high school, beginning of high school, middle of high school. Uh, that was like eight years ago for me. But uh, I come from like a household where it's, you know, meat, potatoes, maybe a vegetable and then some water, right? They're just very classic American. And then as yeah. I go into high school and then I come to college, it's like, okay, they really have revolutionized the game in terms of what is a meal now? Like you can go out anywhere and it's like non-GMO, uh, no soy, vegetarian or ve- vegetarian friendly, vegan friendly. Uh, so that was one of the big eye openers for me personally when I came to college five years ago. I don't know if you have a similar experience then or. Uh, I think that in, in the restaurant business is like, if you're not catering to those, that clientele anymore, like you're, you're, you're losing out. It's like, I'll go to a steakhouse with like all my, all my best friends. I have a group of like 10 best friends and you know, they're all drinking beer, drinking, meat eating men. Right. And you're like, we'll go to a steakhouse, but like now there's two of us out of that group of 10 that are vegetarians. And now, so it's like, if there's some, not something on the menu for, me and my other friend that are veg, it's like the whole group starts to reassess the situation, right? They're like saying, Oh yeah, there's nothing for you guys. Let's go to another place. So it's like, as a restaurateur, it's like, you got to be conscious of that, you know, and you got to have at least one veg item. And, you know, I think that's a big mistake. A lot of people make in business is that you tend to think what you like is what everyone else likes. And I know I made this mistake a million times, right? You just need to be aware of like testing. And I'm like, what are people responding to and what are the items on your menu that are selling the most? Because if you just think, Oh, everyone wants a, a chicken stock in their soup. It's like, well, no, they don't. <laughs> There's a, a growing percentage of people that will not eat a soup if there's chicken stock in it. Right. There's also a growing percentage of people that aren't going to go to a restaurant if they don't have something for their girlfriend who's vegan or vegetarian or whatever it may be. So how is your guys as menu when it comes to vegetarian options? Yeah, we have our, our actually menu is is largely vegetarian based with the so we have a we have come full circle. Actually, this is kind of a good story is that when I bought Treehouse, it was mainly a restaurant, but I was the bar guy. Right. I didn't care about food. I didn't even want to deal with food. But we were open seven days a week as a restaurant. Right. And man, managing that kitchen was the hardest thing that I ever had to do because food is a million times more difficult to manage than booze. Booze is simple. Here's a beer. As long as it's cold, the customer's happy. If they get rowdy, you can kick them out and they're going to come back the next day. Food, though, they could come to you a hundred times, love every single meal. They get one bad meal. They won't say a word to you and they'll never come again. Right. And that's kind of like what you're up against in food. Plus, there's a million moving parts. So when I first bought into Treehouse, I wasn't about the food. I wanted to be just a bar. And and that's actually what ended up happening. I allowed the food portion of my business to completely it, it was it vanished and there was it was non-existent. So I went from being open seven days a week to being open only four days a week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, from eight PM until two AM. And that's where I was making all of my money, believe it or not. But now we've come full circle and we're back open seven days a week. And we two years ago we launched our entire menu. Everything on the menu is five ninety five. So you can get a twelve inch personal pizza for five ninety five, a, a basket of nachos for five ninety five. So everything's like super affordable. But they're pretty much everything on the menu is actually vegetarian. Then you can add pepperoni or add uh, chicken or add bacon to your pizza um, and make it, you know, carnivore special. It's funny. One of the things that always gets brought up in all of our podcasts is that whenever food gets mentioned, we always get really hungry. And I'm starting to feel it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I know I haven't even eaten yet today, so I'm actually getting really hungry. Oh, that makes that makes three of us. I think <laughs> I haven't eaten yet. I don't think Dan has. Um, <laughs> 
what is the one food item that you would recommend to everybody that comes in? What's like a hitter that you cannot miss? Yeah, I mean, I think probably just our pizza. Uh, Windsor actually is known for how good our pizza is. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that we have a huge Italian community in Windsor. Like we have uh, Erie Street, Kabodo Club, and Chichara Club. Like there's just a lot of Italian. My wife's a full, pure blood Italian, you know, and they just, the Italians, they know how to make pizza. That's the one reason that there's, just, there's a good culture of pizza already in Windsor. But also we have this cheese company called Galati Cheese, and they make literally the best mozzarella cheese in the entire world. And uh, that combination of that um, Italian base and this Kaladi cheese company, it makes for like probably the most perfect pizza that you'll ever eat. So when you come to Windsor, whether it's at Treehouse or anywhere, you've got to have our pizza, right? Don't go to Pizza Pizza or Little Caesars, fuck all those places. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. That's rude. But like I'm saying, when you come to Windsor, you've got you to you eat a true authentic Windsor pizza being from Treehouse or even like some of the local pizza places. And you're going to understand what a real pizza is. Uh, people that have left Windsor like rave about the the how amazing the pizza is, and then there's even stories of people that have had pizzas flown to wherever they are in the world because that's how good Windsor pizza is. So I have two really important questions. The first question is thin crust or thick crust, and the second question is is Hawaiian pizza worthy of being considered a pizza? <laughs> um, I personally, uh, um, we are like, there is no like deep dish pizza in Windsor at all. We are all like a, it's not thin, thin, but it's a, you know, it's like a regular traditional pizza, no deep dish. So I would say thin crust and Hawaiian 100%. I think it's got to be considered a pizza. I mean, even though I don't eat ham anymore, I still love pineapple on my pizza. And I think people that don't enjoy pineapple on their pizza are crazy. So 100%. Yes. I'm, I'm glad we're all on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> Our, so our team, we actually had a, a pizza making contest. Uh, and so it was one of, a, one of the groups made Hawaiian pizza, one made chicken Alfredo. That was my group. And then one made some really like bougie balsamic vinegar with like red onion and something else. I mean, it was good, but the Hawaiian pizza in my opinion was the best. Yes, the Hawaiian yeah. pizza did win the tournament. The Hawaiian barbecue. Yeah, maybe that's the one item I miss. I miss since being vegetarian is a Hawaiian pizza with ham and pineapple. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's it pretty good. Yeah, it's good. So I wanted to come back to the five ninety nine. Everything on your food menu is that price or lower. You said that you have like a lot of restrictions in Canada for alcohol, and obviously the LCBO being like the only place that people can buy commercial alcohol. Are there a lot of restrictions on the food that you bring in, or is it mostly on the alcohol side? No, it's mainly on the alcohol. The food is pretty much all over the place. The only real restriction we have in Canada, which you guys are probably not aware of, is is uh, dairy and cheese because uh, Canada put a bunch of tariffs in place to make sure they protect the Canadian farmers. So we can't like we don't get any American cheese in at all, which I wish we did because it's about half the cost. So that's the only real restrictions. We do have very strict like health and safety guidelines. So like all of our, our staff has to have the this food handling course. And then we also get inspected um, semi-annually by the health department. And they're, they're really strict. Like uh, they're looking with flashlights under counters. So you got to make sure your place is pristine. Um, it's pretty hard for you to eat at a dirty restaurant when you come to Canada. Well, in Ontario, I guess I should say at least. So, I mean, you can always set your mind at ease when you're going somewhere that you're going to get, uh, you know, cleanly because if, if it's not, people are, they're just going to shut you down. Well, it's going to be cleanly and it's also going to be a great experience because 
the the stereotype is that everyone in Canada is really polite and they say sorry or a boot. But but in all honesty, though, no, I mean, Windsor is like so chill and so nice. Uh, it's really nice to be able to go and like literally walk a couple blocks and never feel like you're in any danger at all or anything like that. I mean, I've been in some some bar some bad places in uh, Toledo and Detroit where you really don't have that luxury of just walking around and having the peace of mind. So that's personally why I love Windsor. Just yeah, you know, I mean, that's pretty much all of Canada. Like, you know, that's one thing that we have. Like, there's not really, you know, there's a you know one street in Vancouver that I would probably not want to walk down on my own. I can't remember the name of the street, but if you look it up, the pictures are wild. Other than that, there is no real. I, I, I'll, I'll actually tell a quick little story because I think it'll be funny. I had a good friend of mine that was going to school in um, Texas A&M. He's he, he's from here in Windsor, but he went to school in Texas A&M. We went to Austin to party for the weekend and. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Austin, but Austin is very much like one big strip of bars. But if you get outside of that strip of bars, like it becomes like you're kind of in a dangerous area, right? So somehow him and I got separated and he went home with a girl and I went was going home with a different girl. And anyways, I ended up on the street by myself. And then all of a sudden I found myself in this bad area and now these guys all come up to me, right? And they're like pushing me around and like basically saying like, give me your money. Like they're going to mug me, I guess. So I, in my drunken state said, this is what I came up with. I said, I got 20 bucks right here. And I said, I'm like, I'm going to put this 20 bucks on the ground and I'm going to fight each and every one of you. And, the, uh, and I said, at the end, whoever's left standing gets to keep the 20 bucks. And I don't know where this came from or how I came up with this. But anyways, this was not my, my plan to fight all of these guys. So anyways, I take the 20 bucks out of my thing. I put it down on the ground. And then as they're looking at me, I bolt and run as fast as I can towards this convenience store. Right. So I go running and I'm like, I was actually, I I was running in zigzags because I was worried that they were shooting at me. Like, you know, this is maybe a Canadian being scared of the guns in America or something. But anyways, so I'm running in zigzags. I must've looked like an idiot. I don't even know if these guys are really going to mug me or not. But anyways, I burst through the the convenience store door and there's an off duty cop that's in the convenience store at all times. He's this big giant black cop. And he, he says to me, I tell him the story kind of, and he puts his hand on my shoulder. He's like, what in the fuck are you doing in this neighborhood? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, man, I'm from Canada. And he called me a cab, walked me from the convenience store to the cab. And I got in the cab, went to my hotel. So I survived, uh, survived a near death in, in Austin, Texas. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that is fuck. <laughs> I mean, yeah, pretty hilarious. that's pretty common in most U S cities is that, there's one part of the city or there's like a couple of streets that you shouldn't go down uh-huh. and you really wouldn't know that unless you're from the area. I mean, even though like if someone from Michigan went to, you know, Austin, they probably wouldn't know that. I mean, that's just one of those things like in the U S you always got to be pretty of pr- pretty aware of where you're going. And it's funny because you'll have a, a outstanding neighborhood. It just looks very low, very beautiful. And then like a block down the street, it, it just dives yeah. It's, it's weird how quickly it can change from very nice neighborhood to poverty. Yeah, 100%. So I got a question, and I've been curious about this for quite some time now, ever since I was about the age of 19. Um, so I personally never went to Windsor, but I've had a plethora of friends who have went to Windsor from the ages to 19 up. So I was curious, what would you say the ratio is of 19 to 21-year-olds to everyone else? Uh, yeah, well, downtown Windsor is a young crowd, right? So um, I would I would say it's probably nah, well, it's not it's probably not that that high actually. It's probably uh, maybe 
probably 50, 50, let's say, you know? So, um, 50% of the people are 19 to 21, I would say. And then the other 50% are 21 and above, but probably only max to about 28, you know, 29 max. And that's like when you get to 28, 29, it's on the very low end of that, that 50%. Are, on a normal night, would you say like what percentage is American? Well, it used to be a lot higher. Like Windsor used to be really we thrived off the American clientele coming over, but a lot changed. Like 9-11 was one of the hits, right? Like, and I was around in 9-11. I actually bought Treehouse just after 9-11. That just shut the American flow of traffic across the border, completely shut it off, and it took a long time to get it back. And then the other one was when they changed the passport law. Before, you didn't need an enhanced license to get across the border. You didn't need a, a passport you just needed your ID and like a birth certificate or anything. Pretty much you're just your driver's license, not enhanced. You could get across the border. So when they changed that law and even the, the time leading up to it, the Americans basically just stopped coming. So because of that, Windsor had to adapt and start focusing more on their Canadian clientele. So I would say now the large part of the clientele that is downtown is probably more Canadian and it's probably like a 70-30 split Canadian to American. That's pretty reasonable, honestly. I mean, 30%, I would expect it to be a little bit higher, but for all the reasons you just mentioned, I mean, it makes sense. Um, I just know whenever... Yeah, I just remember like whenever we would go there, it, like whenever I was in Windsor, like, you know, a year ago or two years ago, um, it was pretty common. I actually ran into somebody that was from my high school that was in the same bar. It was at um, the bar next door to yours. Um, what is that? I can't even remember the name. Um, Lefties. Lefties, yes. Um, it was Lefties. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we were literally at Lefties, and I was like, hey, Carly, what's going on? And it, was, it was just like the most ridiculous coincidence. I just never thought I'd see someone from my hometown in the same bar in a different country. It was wild. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And like, like I said, I mean, the big, the big thing that I hate or regret or whatever it is, I don't know what the feeling is, is just like that potential that is lost in Windsor because Windsor could be literally, like I say, like a Nashville, but because of our laws and regulations, like we just won't ever allow that. Like I remember I was in Nashville and this like truck goes by with a wagon and the guy playing guitar and a bunch of people drinking beer, standing up in the back of this wagon, driving down the strip of Nashville. I'm like, that would never be allowed in Canada. Like we are like, we are just like the fun police, you know, like we just don't allow anything to, to like be fun and heaven forbid you ever, you know, create a whole entire industry around drinking alcohol, right? It's like, we're just like, really, uh, it, like, we would never have a Vegas, you know, we would never have a Nashville just because of those, those rules and restrictions. But imagine what Windsor could be if we really embraced that, right? It's like, we would, we would attract people from all over the, all over the United States that were 19 to 21 that wanted to come and have a good time kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. I have heard, though, that uh, out in Alberta, there there are not as many restrictions and uh, Edmonton specifically gets kind of crazy. That's just what I've heard and what people have said. I don't know how true that is, but. Yeah, it's true, actually, because um, there has been a few bar owners that I know that left Ontario because they were just so fed up with the restrictions and they moved out to Calgary to start up, uh, start up uh, bars out there. Yeah, definitely uh, wouldn't mind stopping by Alberta once or twice. You know, <laughs> I mean. have you ever uh, considered expanding? Um, I actually did expand. Um, I right in uh, when the economy was like kind of collapsing there in two thousand seven. Um, I just kind of saw it as an amazing opportunity to like 
purchase up a bunch of uh, businesses and because everything was so cheap. So um, I opened up Symbol Nightclub, which was a really cool concept with uh, some some friends of mine. Uh, essentially, it was a nightclub that had um, a membership only upstairs lounge. So you had to have a membership in order to go up there. So uh, it was kind of exclusive. It was cool. We had a limo that if you had a membership, the limo would pick you up and bring you there as long as you booked it in advance. And um, it, it was good. The concept was good. We were just completely underfunded. If, if I would have had more cash, we would have survived. I ended up selling that uh, to another bar owner downtown. They transformed it to the bank. Uh, now it, it's Imperial. Like it's, it's changed names a few times. Um, I also opened up another like pub style place called the Well House. That one didn't do well. And ultimately, uh, I closed that one. I sold Symbol. I also opened up a, like a high-end fast food restaurant that was called Black Kettle Bistro, um, which was like served high-end food, but quickly, kind of like a Wolfgang Pucks uh, fast food place that you see in airports. And that did all right, but we weren't making the numbers. We ended up closing that. So ultimately, what I learned from this trying to expand was like, this is the big lesson was that I was always focused on what was next in order to make me money. Like, what can I do to make more money when when I finally came to that realization and I had sold and closed down those other business and I, I put all of my energy back in Trio solely, like with 100% commitment and I, I didn't have my eyes on any other prize. That's when Trios like went through the roof and in about two years, we doubled our sales from where we pre- previously were because my attention had been spread out over the course of like three or four other businesses. That's awesome. Uh, so one question I have, if you could go to any bar if you did drink excluding yeah. where would it be excluding treehouse excluding uh treehouse or any of your other establishments downtown windsor or like in anywhere in the world you mean let's let's go with one of each let's go with one in windsor and then also one uh anywhere downtown windsor where would i go now i would probably go to uh 29 park which is right on the corner from me um very like me have been in business a long time and um, I've learned a lot from just watching how those guys operate and they they really know how to treat their customers well. And that's been like, I think the key to the success plus it's a beautiful spot, beautiful place. So, um, I think that's probably where I would head over there if I wanted like a nice night out with, uh, with friends kind of thing, like in a, in a club setting, um, anywhere in the world. I don't know. I really have like got so far removed from the bar scene and going out to bars, but I remember, um, when I, my friends and I, we, we used to go to Vegas every single year. We went to, oh, I don't even think it's there anymore. It was like Studio 54 and MGM. I think it's called something different now. But anyways, every time we go away with my buddy, we always get bottle service and do this whole thing. And and this this happened to be like one of the most amazing experiences because we had like this booth and like literally we were kind of like the center of attention and everyone was coming into our booth. It was like amazing. So I love, I guess big gigantic clubs because uh, I, I i like not only is the experience really cool but it's just like we don't have that in windsor or really anywhere like well i guess in toronto there's some really big places but like they just know how to do it right and it seems like the money is is unlimited that they can spend and the decor is is just out of this world and i just love seeing um what this industry really could become with the proper uh energy and attention to do it and to make it that big no, you're absolutely correct. Especially, I mean, in Vegas, they get a lot of funding, and um, once they really start get, or once they start rolling, the return on investment is insane. I mean, if you look at the top ten nightclubs in the United States, I don't quote me on this, but I believe six of them are in Las Vegas. Um, so that just showed, yeah, with the with the right you know funding, the right support, you can 
you can easily make like a nightlife hotspot a, a viable product or a viable service that people want to attend. Yeah, 100%. One of the biggest things that I had for me was like, I was caught in this mindset for the longest time that there was no money in the bar business, you know, especially in Canada, right? Where I have 40% product costs, you know, and that's what I thought I had to get out of the bar business to make money. But once I really buckled down and got rid of that mindset, there was all kinds of money to be made, right? I just wasn't able to see it before. So this, I guess this is for anyone. If you're listening to the podcast and you get stuck thinking you're in the wrong industry, it's like you need to take another look at that because there's people that make money in every single industry, you know? And I remember one time that what changed my mindset is I met this guy that owned like six or seven nightclubs. And this guy was like filthy rich, you know, he drove a Ferrari. Right. And I'm like, Oh shit. I'm like, there is money to be made in this, this, this industry. Right. Like it was right in front of me. I'm looking at this guy in his Ferrari. Right. And I'm like, Oh, like there is money to be made. Once that, that clicked for me, I just got laser like focused on one thing. And then that's how I was able to make Treehouse, you know, survive longer than anybody else downtown. So what's what's kind of like the brand of Treehouse? Do you kind of go off of like a, a treehouse kind of brand or? Yeah, Dan hasn't been there. So our, yeah, our slogan is that we've been keeping partying affordable since 2000. Um, you know, what we aim to do at Treehouse is just provide the most amount of value possible to the customer. So when you walk through our doors, you're going to get $3 drinks. We never, never, ever start cover before 11 o'clock. We never raise our drink prices. So whiskey, rum, vodka, and gin are $3 every day, all day, all night. There is no this price till midnight. It's just like, that's the price. We have $4 Jaeger and vodka bombs, which actually vodka bombs, that's something that you guys got to get on in the States because vodka bombs are like we our number one seller we sell more red bull than anybody else in the city of windsor because we sell so many vodka bombs which is just like flavored vodka and red bull instead of jaeger and red bull it's flavored vodka and red bull and it's a complete game changer they're so delicious and they're just as powerful and just as strong uh but you don't get that cringy feeling when you drink the the jaeger bomb yeah so really it's just about providing amazing value and that's what you see in our drink specials in our cover charge and in our um, our, our, our food menu, which is everything's five ninety five. We just want to make sure that we're not like, like we, I believe in this mindset. It's like the restaurant and bar business has gotten very, uh, I don't know if we want, I want to say greedy, but like in Canada, especially you guys are a little bit more lucky because your costs aren't as high, but like to come to go out for like uh, a burger and fries and a beer in Canada, you're paying uh, like $25, you know, it's just, it's just ridiculous. And I, I know that, it doesn't have to be that expensive. You know, like I sell $3 drinks and five ninety five pizzas and I'm still making a great living. Right. So we just don't like ripping people off. And I think people are able to see that authenticity and that's what keeps us, you know, so popular uh, in the Windsor nightlife scene. I a hundred percent agree. And I can attest I've been there many nights, uh, even to the point where you mentioned the vodka bombs with flavored Red Bull and flavored vodka. Uh, I might have, you know, asked the the bartender to make me a, a mix and match, and then I tried to guess it. Might have done that four or five times, and you know, <laughs> two of the night takes me, you know. But no, um, on a for real note, though, every time I've been there, like bomb food, bomb drinks, and it's always like mad cheap. So big fan of that. And also, one thing you did forget to mention was the mini pictures, or I guess not even mini, but like pictures, oh, yeah. like six dollars. Um, you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. Well, I mean. When we were looking, uh, we have mini pitchers every night that are eight bucks and it's three ounces of booze with like, you can make any mini, any style drink, whatever you want, as long as it's not premium booze, obviously. Um, and you put it in a mini pitcher. So that way you only have to go up to the bar once and you got three drinks in your hand. But when we were looking at creating a weeknight promotion, you know, what we basically said is like, how can we create 
so much value, make like a true college night. And basically what we did was we, we took our mini pitchers and we put them on special. And so for six bucks, you can get a mini pitcher every Thursday night. And that is like our college night. It's like, uh, there's no cover, just come have a good time. We're really not really making next to any money on the mini pitcher. <laughs> so it's like really just like a night for us to give back to like all the people that support us on the weekend. And it's, it's, it's just so much fun. You get cheap drinks. I mean, literally for, uh, let's say 12 bucks, uh, you can have like a really, really, really good night. Oh, 100%. I've had many great nights there, especially with the mini pitchers. Always helps. Yeah. Um, do you guys yeah. still do live uh, like music and entertainment, or is it all stereo now? No, we, uh, we, have, we have a DJ seven nights a week. That is our one thing that we like really stick to because we want that consistency. But then on Friday, Saturday nights, and this is something that really sets us apart, we have our pre-party, which is like we have live music. And I think it only works because of the food element too. So we got the food. You got the uh, pre-party, so we have amazing musicians. Uh, There's one guy, Jake Van Doggen. He plays every Friday. And then we have the Paul and Randy Show, who are absolutely amazing. They play every Saturday. And basically, what we call it is the pre-party. It's like the party before the party. So if you're coming to Windsor, you got to come to Treehouse from 7 till 10 and pre-party because there's literally nothing else to do. Come have some cheap food, cheap drinks, listen to some amazing music. Um, And it's like... I think it's I, it actually it is my my favorite part of the night is the pre-party just because people are interacting and they're not too drunk yet to start getting annoying you know and they're they're having fun and uh, enjoying the food and the, and the music. All right, so this is going to be the best segue out there. What is what is your greatest strength and weakness? That's a good question. I actually haven't really answered this question. This is a question I always ask in interviews, so I don't know why I, I, I thought <laughs> about it. I guess my greatest strength is my ability to communicate. Um, you know, like that's what I, that's what I, I'm now tuned into. Like, this is what I want to be doing, which is actually things like podcasts, speaking engagements, coaching people. I guess my greatest strength was having the awareness of what my strength was. My weakness is probably still sometimes chasing things because of the money. Uh, that's what I did for a long time in my life. It was like, all I cared about was making money. And it wasn't until I was able to get out of that getting mode and move into the getting, giving mode where everything changed. But sometimes I still find myself getting stuck in getting mode and I have to kind of like slap myself in the face to get myself out of it. I mean, I guess that's like a blessing and a curse because it's motivation, maybe not the money itself, but it definitely points you in a direction for entrepreneurship. Um, Like you said, every industry has something that is, I mean, it wouldn't be an industry if it wasn't profitable, right? So, I mean, there's people that you can learn from in every industry and how to make the correct living within an industry. So I don't think there's anything wrong with chasing the money. You just have to be passionate about it as well, in my opinion. Yeah, I think, I mean, I agree and disagree with you on that. Like, I think you can't make it all about the money. Like the biggest leaps I made in the bar business was when I, I thought I, instead of like, for example, I used to create promotions on and this is the mindset. How could I get people into my door, right? And when you are in the mode of getting, it's you're never going to really truly become truly successful. You might get some success, but then you're going to end up falling, you know? So when I switch from getting to giving, meaning now when I looked at creating a promotion, how can I look at giving the most amount of value to my customers? How can I look at giving the most amazing experience to my customers? When I flip that mindset, everything changed for me in uh, in my business. That makes a lot of sense. I think that that clip right there, I'm going to have to put that. So we started a new <laughs> thing in our in our social media is we do little short segments where we do like a minute 
of just uh, really cool quotes that we have in our podcast. And that right there, that, I really like that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dan does a lot of the uh, the audio behind the scenes, but he also takes care of our social medias too. And uh, if you ever check out our social medias, we actually just started doing, you know, clips like 45 to a minute, minute clips where it's talking about like our guest experiences. And yeah. I think that's pretty fire one. So, oh yeah, that's pretty decent. <laughs> that one hit. <laughs> that's the way you got to do it now though. It's like, you know, you got to produce long pieces of content, podcast videos, whatever, and then chop them up into shorter pieces for for Instagram, Facebook, wherever you want to post them to drive people to the longer pieces of content. I mean, that's that's I mean, that's how I mean, my personal Instagram, that's how I was able to grow it, you know, from zero to, you know, 13,000 followers was by producing a large volume of content and driving people to my to my uh, long pieces of content, you know. So this is this is going back a little bit, but so you you mentioned a little earlier that you listened to Gary Vee. I know he's really big into social yeah. media. What what are some like advice or some things that you've heard from Gary Vee that you really liked? Well, I mean, I think just going back to what I just said is like learn how to produce a ton of content. Um, this is something that I've done really well with my coaching platform, not as well uh, in Treehouse, you know. And also, I think the other big thing is so one is produce a lot of content. The other thing is don't make your Facebook and Instagram like uh, an advertising tool and make it like a TV show that people want to watch. And then every now and then drop an advertisement. Right. So it's like, it's not like in the beginning, my social media was all like, come out on Thursday night, come do this, do whatever. But now my content is like, Oh, here's a drink that we sell. There's no ask, you know, it's just like, what do you guys think? Well, this delicious drink, we tell them like what the ingredients are. So it's like, we're trying to create content that people want to watch. And then every now and then we'll say, Hey, don't forget to come check us out on St. Patrick's day. Right. Yeah. And that, that kind of goes into what you're talking about earlier, where you want to kind of what, what can you give to your audience instead of what can you get from your audience with, you know, with the content that you're getting out there. It's, it's not necessarily about, Hey, come, come buy this. But it's more about, Hey, there's this there, you know, like there's this thing that you might like, here's, here's some information on it. Or, you know, here's some entertainment for you. Check it out. Yeah, 100%. And, and look at like the, like look at like Barstool Sports, right? It's like, you know, they're not really selling you that much ever. They're just content, 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 making you want to watch, making you want to engage. And then every now and then they'll say, oh, buy this t shirt, you know? Like, so it's like, that's the exact same thing that you need to do with your social media game and whatever you're doing, really. It's like create value. I mean, that, you know, that could be the theme of this podcast, right? It's like, they're like, how are you creating value for your end user? And it's like, doesn't matter what industry you're in. If you're in the restaurant business, it's like, how do you create the most amazing amount of value? What separates you from every other restaurant out there? And it has to be about the value. It's like, how, how are you delivering more value than the guy next door to you? Yeah, absolutely. And that was actually part of the reason why we started the podcast originally was um, we're all fresh out of college. We all have our degrees, diverse background. There's six of us. And one thing that we came across was all right, we want to build applications. We're, we're a software company, um, but we also want to engage in the bar scene because okay. you know our first uh, software as a service that we're selling is a bar crawl app. Um, that's neither here nor there, but um, it's really just, you know we want to know how, how to engage with um, customers, you know, which would be bar owners, but then also, I mean, we're college students. We know what the college students want, what they like. And that's one thing that we're always striving towards is, how do we provide the best product or the best service to the people that we want to use the product? And one quote that was actually on our social media, I 
or it's going to be on our social media next week is build something that a hundred people will love instead of build uh, a product that only a thousand people kind of like. And so that's where we're, we're so from entrepreneurs like yourself and other people is how do we build the best product that's going to have the highest, you know, not, not necessarily return on investment, but how do we provide the best experience for users? 100%. I would take that even a step further and build a piece of content that one person's going to love, right? Because it's like, if you can create one ambassador for your brand, that basically an ambassador for your brand is someone that's going to tell two more people about it, right? If you can create that content that gets other people to, like that, they're so connected to it, like, oh, you got to see this clip, you got to read this quote, that's what's going to grow your social media, right? It's like, it's, if you, you start thinking too big picture, you'll end up losing it, right? So it's like, how can you connect with the people that you already have following you? Make them, uh, you know, really connect with them, make them love you because when they love you, they're going to tell other people. And like, literally, that is the model of Treehouse. That's why we're here for 20 years. It's like, you know, Frankie, you came over here to, to Michigan, right? And then if you had little brothers and sisters or you have friends, when you say you go to, when you go to winter, you got to go to Treehouse. Right? It's like they got three dollar drinks, they got four dollar bombs. It's the best place. They got the the pre party, you know. So uh, that's basically ultimately what it is. You want to create ambassadors for your brand. I mean, that's well said, and I I'd always try to do that with everywhere that I go. My my father's in the restaurant industry, and he um, he pretty much lives and breathes by his clientele. Also, you know, referring to him or referring his restaurant, and I'm I want to be an ambassador in that space. I know ambassador is becoming a meta term at this point. But I do really do like to represent the bars that I've been to. And that's really why I wanted to get you on the podcast is because I've been to your bar and I have, I mean, never had a bad time there. So, yeah, yeah, 100%. And uh, you were speaking of effective uh, advertising on social media. And I don't know if you did this by design, but you did advertise your uh, December advent calendar where each day in December you do something different throughout the holiday stretch. And I just happened to be there on the day where you guys, yeah. you guys did $4. I can't, believe, I can't remember if it's $3 or $4 shots. This was in 2018, but it was very cheap shots, any shot. And uh, that was probably one of my best out ever. So yeah, like that, that night, actually, our, our 12 nights of Christmas, which was really kind of now expanded to 14 nights of Christmas, but we still call it 12 nights of Christmas because it sounds better. But um, that, that promotion um, is something that has been building over the years. And this kind of brings me back to another real crucial factor of the success of Trios, which is consistency. We stick behind the things that we do. You know, like we have $3 drinks all the time. We have our five menu, five menu all the time, $70 bottle service. Like those things never change. And then another thing, we start bringing it into our promotions. Like our St. Patrick's Day promotion is a similar all the time. Our New Year's promotion is similar. And then our 12 nights of Christmas, which is by far the most busy time ever in Trios, has been absolutely insane where basically we turn every single night into a Saturday night with some sort of promotion or giveaway. And again, that gets back to giving that night that you came is our customer appreciation night. It's like, how can we give the most amount of value to the people that supported us all year long? It's like here, everything in the bar is $3, $3 beers, $3 shots, $3 bombs, everything's three bucks. Right. So uh, that night is always insane fun and also insane in some ways. <laughs> Lit. <laughs> as the kids say it's as, as the kids say yeah 100%. so frank you want to go ahead and move on to the fun questions yeah i mean i feel like we've covered a pretty good amount of ground in terms of entrepreneurship and you know treehouse but we always do like to get our fun questions in with our guests and just pick their mind on a personal level we already asked about your goat story yeah. and 
you know, we, we already covered that topic, but what is one place that you've been to in the past that you would recommend to others, whether it's an establishment or like a geographical place like Europe or something? I think uh, probably the greatest trip I've ever been on in my life uh, was uh, the BVIs. I'm a big, I'm a big sailor. Like I, I, I competitively race sailing. So anyways, I went, my wife and I went to the BVIs and we rented a, a sailboat uh, for nine days and we just sailed from Island to Island. It was literally the greatest vacation I've ever been on because, you know, there's people in resorts and they're looking out into the the bay where our boat was anchored. And like, like we are the scenery, like we're a part of the scenery, right? You can jump off the back of your boat and snorkel and you see all kinds of fish and, Barracuda and everything that you want to see that was all there. I didn't see any sharks, thank God. By far the greatest trip I've ever been on. The food was amazing. Uh, I'm sure the drinks were amazing because there's all kinds of tropical drinks. And yeah, it was just it was just a really unique experience. And that's what I try and do in any vacationing that I do. It's like I, you know, I haven't been to an all-inclusive resort in probably 15 years. You know, um, because I just want to have a unique experience and really get to know the place that I'm going to. So that's what I always strive for when I'm traveling. Another place that I would recommend real quickly is uh, um, downtown Detroit has like really been making a turnaround and they have uh, this one little alleyway that they've turned into. I can't remember the name of the alleyway, but it's all these little outdoor bars. I mean, Detroit, the turnaround that Detroit has made has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I hope that with all the race riots and stuff that's going on right now, protests, I hope they're able to bounce back because that's what killed Detroit, uh, you know, in the 70s. I think they will from this. It doesn't seem to be as, as terrible. But um, Detroit is like making this amazing comeback. And uh, if you haven't been downtown Detroit in a while, it's definitely a place to check out. Yeah, I was actually, uh, I just recently finished a series on Hulu called Abandoned, where they visit places that may have been abandoned. And their season finale was Detroit. And they're really talking about how, you know, Detroit, uh, it, it, it just completely went downhill in the 80s or 70s, whatever it was. Uh, because um, what they said was it had something to do with there was like black workers working at a factory and then the white workers didn't like that. So then they moved out. And so then the whole city got deserted and then it's just been going uphill from there. The community is just outstanding out there where everyone's like working together. You have people working on uh, like these compost areas where they, they sell like composts for local farmers and uh, they're just, completely rebuilding. Uh, you have deserted buildings where they're completely transforming them. And it's really amazing what they're doing out there. Yeah. And it's like, really like, I mean, I don't, I don't want to take away from what everyone's doing, but there's a power of a couple of guys. Um, um, the guy that owns um, rock financial there, uh, Dave Illich or Illich or something. I can't, wow, this is terrible. I don't know these names. Uh, but anyways, these, these couple like, you know, multimillionaires, billionaires, probably, I don't know we basically just collectively got together and said, like, let's bring the city back online, you know, and Detroit kind of hit rock bottom, you know, uh, yeah, probably just after 9-11, they, they claimed bankruptcy as a city. And there's just like, there was just all this trouble. And, and basically at some point, these, these leaders made the decision like, Hey, let's, let's pull the city around. And uh, man, did they ever, they ever do an amazing job. And I've always said, imagine if Detroit was Chicago, like what that would look like for Windsor, you know, because we are only a mile apart that separates us. Right. So it's like if Detroit was Chicago, imagine it. And that's what's happening. You know, like, you know, it's probably going to take another 10 years, but Detroit is making this huge turnaround and Windsor is going to be right next door as the sister city. So we're going to, we're going to experience all the benefits. It kind of goes back to my original thing that I said when we first started, it's like, 
I believe in cooperation, not competition, right? It's like, you know, imagine what would happen if Windsor Detroit cooperated on creating a tourism industry where you could visit two cities at once. Like, how cool is that? Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, I'm actually like from very close to Detroit. I'm from River Rouge, which is um, a city that's 10 minutes outside of Detroit. It's not the best socioeconomic area, but I'm from the, like, the greater Detroit area for a lack of better terms. And I mean, I have friends now who are graduating college and they're like engineers and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, we're going to move down to we're going to move down to Detroit and we're going to work down there. I'm like, wait, what? And then it wasn't until like a year ago I actually went and you know started revisiting all these places um, like that Mike Illich owned. Right. So he owns. Uh, well, rest in peace, Mike Illich. But yeah. he, uh, he owns the Detroit Red Wings. He owns the, you know, the Tigers. And he also had like a lot of property that he owned within the, the Detroit area. And now you can see that that return on investment is um, people with you know high paying jobs are starting to now flood the city again. Like I said, I have friends that are engineers and they're going to school for medical school at Wayne State. And uh, I believe in the next 10 years, Detroit is going to be prospering at a level that we haven't seen for at least, you know, 50 to 100 years at this point. But I'm super excited for the future. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And some of that trickle down will definitely be going to Windsor. Like you said, we're only a mile apart and everybody that I know, I mean, since you turned 19, it's tradition to go to Windsor. So very excited for what the future holds. Yeah, definitely. What would you say is the most thrill seeking thing you've ever done in your life? Well, every year, uh, my wife and I go snowboarding and I, I have this saying that I'm going to go out and scare the shit out of myself on my snowboard. <laughs> so I basically just go to the, the highest peaks, the steepest I can go and uh, I just push the limits of my comfort zone, you know, and that's what this life is all about. It's like, if you're not, you're not pushing those limits, you're not feeling that uncomfortability, you're not feeling that fear. It means that you're stagnant, you know, and that's the same for business. And that's why I'm always just constantly moving forward. That's when I feel that I'm at my best. So recently this year we went to, before all the Corona stuff happened, we were in Vail, Colorado and Vail got the one of the biggest snowstorms, top five snowstorms of all time that has ever happened. And, we were literally in like three feet of powder and uh, you want to talk about pushing your limits of comfortability. That was, that was uh, definitely doing it because like literally if you, if you fell, it was a 10 minute process to get up because the snow was so deep. Yeah. One of the most amazing trips I've ever been on. And it was because I was like pushing those boundaries. Yeah. One quote that I've, I've really liked is if you are afraid of dying then you're also afraid of living. Yeah. Yeah. I just did a whole podcast recorded today it's going to come out it's going to come out this week on how to transcend the fear of death <laughs> literally <laughs> um you don't drink anymore but you used to be a avid party goer i don't know if that's true or not but i'm going to say it <laughs> uh, you also like the uh do you have a hangover recipe or do you think that's real or not my only hangover recipe was to drink more which is probably not the greatest hangover recipe <laughs> but it worked you know, I remember my friend who would go to Vegas. We'd feel so terrible the next morning. We were all, especially as we started getting older. Like I quit drinking when I was 33. So like near the, uh, you know, in our early 30s, like those hangovers started getting a lot worse. You know, no matter how bad you felt, you had a beer, and you know, after one or two beers, you were you bounced back and you were you were back on track. Now, not really the the, the remedy I'd recommend today, but uh, it worked for me uh, back in the day. I mean, that's usually my go-to is, you know, just have like a Bloody Mary the next morning or you know, <laughs> shotgun a beer or something else. <laughs> that is what I get. Yeah. Sorry, I'll, I'll tell you guys another quick little funny story. We had this local restaurant in our local mall called Moxie's and it used to be like where we'd hang out all the time. So every after every Saturday night, and this is when I was working at the bar drinking all the time, we would all meet at Moxie's in the morning. We would have Caesars and have uh, lunch or whatever. Well, it wasn't the morning. It was, you know, afternoon. 
So anyways, one day I was drinking with my friends there from 11 in the morning till about 11 at night, right? My, my bill was like $580. We had, we went through like three shift changes of waitresses. Anyway, so we went out and we ended up going downtown after. So the next morning I called up my buddy and said, Hey man, I left my car at the mall. Like, can you, can you drive me to the mall to pick up my car? So he drives me to the mall and my car's not there. And I'm like, what? I'm, I know I didn't drive it anywhere. Like, uh, I'm like, I'm pretty sure. I'm like, did I drive somewhere? I'm calling up like the places I remember going to. And then finally, I just came to the realization that someone stole my car. <laughs> I, left, I left it in the parking lot of the mall. Someone saw it and said, hey, this is a nice ride home and took off and stole it. I don't know how you lived through that. I would have way too much anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they eventually ended up finding the car. So that was kind of a bummer. But uh, I was hoping to get a replacement. But uh, yeah, they ended up finding it and had a few little scratches and dings. The window was smashed and they fixed it up. If you weren't if you weren't operating a bar right now uh, or coaching, because I know that's your second passion, what would you what do you think you could be doing right? Now? Well, I mean, I really think I have the ability to do anything, whatever I set my mind to. So, like, and for me, it was just about getting aligned with my true purpose, which is giving back, helping people. So, I mean, that's I, this is what I'll, coaching is what I'll do forever. I mean, the bar business, I'm sure at some point will be the thing of the past for me. But this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. If I wasn't doing this then it would mean that uh, I would be probably sailing around the world. Fair enough. I mean, that's a pretty good answer. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't, who wouldn't love yeah. going around the world and traveling and sailing, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, what is your hometown? Uh, I grew up in Essex, Ontario, which is uh, in Essex County. It's in the center of Essex County where Windsor is. So I'm only about 20 minutes outside of, of Windsor. And then when I was uh, 21, I bought my first house uh in windsor and then I've, I've lived in windsor ever since you have a favorite hometown bar by chance um well when i was coming up in windsor the place that i used to go to was woody woody's outhouse which is what like i remember i was telling you in the beginning of the heyday of windsor woody's outhouse was my spot and i remember thursday nights they had uh dollar 50 beers i think dollar 50 drinks which was like you can't even, that's not even allowed in canada anymore you can't have uh, any drinks below two dollars jesus anyways and it was just it was the greatest night if you weren't there by eight o'clock you weren't getting in it was just lined up all night long and uh all my friends and everyone would come so uh i have to say uh rest in peace woody's outhouse but it was definitely woody's outhouse yeah for a loony you could get anything right yeah. <laughs> no, that's just like a joke because we don't have the uh, the coin dollars here, but it's pretty cool because in Windsor, I mean, you can just take a couple of those to the bar and you're you're chilling. So <laughs> I know you guys you guys hate on the hate on the hate on the coins, but I tell you, I, I love the coins because you know what? I, I actually use it as a I use it as a saving technique. Like I never pay for anything with the change, right? So even if it's a dollar fifty, I pay with my five dollar bill. They give me. 350 back and change and I leave that change in my pocket. I go home every night, I dump it into a bin. And then whenever I go on vacation, I take that money, I roll it all up, and it's usually like a couple thousand bucks. And that's my spending money for the vacation. That's pretty elite strategy. But how do strip clubs work? Because uh, do you just throw coins at the <laughs> dancers or yeah, they do um, they do actually they do put people put two dollars we have a two and a loony, a two dollar coin and a one dollar coin. So they do lay on the stage and put a toonie in your mouth, which actually makes it harder for the stripper to get it out of your mouth. So you get a little bit of a better dance than uh, than you would with a dollar sticking out of your mouth. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, you know, because of inflation and stuff where we're at, I think uh, you know if you're going to be getting on stage and having a stripper 
uh, rubber ass and her tits in your face, you should be at least spending five bucks. All right, Dan, we got to go to Windsor. <laughs> Before you know. <laughs> Off of that, do you have any words of inspiration that you'd like to say before we close up? Um, you know what? I think, I mean, I mean, this is kind of like what I do, but I think it's really, I think the message of all of this was, you know, I think what allowed me to, to be successful in business was that I never really had a fear of failure. I just continuously moved forward. And as I moved forward, I learned more and more and more. And someone asked me this recently. They said, you know, what would you do differently? Like I'm 41 now. And this is a 25 year old guy I was talking to. He said, what would you do differently if from now, like when you're 25 now? And I said, that answer actually kind of surprised me as I, I, felt I would focus all of my energy on spiritual growth and mindset. Because when I was 25, all I cared about was making money. And it wasn't until I realized how to let go of that desire for money that all the money that I ever wanted began to flow into my life. So that was the biggest transformation. If I was able to, if I would have been able to make that, you know, uh, 10 years earlier, man, I would, the, the places I would be right now would be un- unthinkable, right? So really about creating that awareness of like, what is, what are your issues? What are your blocks to success? You know, like, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, like the how will get answered in action. But the real question is, why aren't you taking the action? And when you start to dig into that and learn what is resisting, what your blocks are to success, that's when you can really begin to transcend. And, and life becomes like, for me, like my life is 100% effortless. Even though I work 10, 12 hours a day, I never feel like I'm working a day in my life because I'm in, in tune with what I really truly want to do. And I'm also not forcing anything because, you know, my goal is to impact millions of people, right? So it's like, whether I achieve that goal or not, I'm still a very happy person, right? So there is no more like grind or hustle for me. It's just about like, doing the work every single day. And I know if I do that, eventually all of that will come into my life. Yeah. Well said, Dave. And I think I'm going to start listening to your podcast more. Um, I really didn't even know you had it until we got into further communication. Uh, everybody that's listening to this right now, make sure you guys go uh, check out Rise Up Rich by David Haas. It's very inspirational and very good. Um, and also I might be looking to for some coaching or some help because there is six of us right now and we um, have taken on the entrepreneurial role of working 10 to 16 hours a day, uh, every day. And I mean, we're doing pretty great for ourselves, but we might need your help, uh, in the near future, just for some guidance. So, uh, I might be, I might be confident. Yeah. The, yeah. One thing, I'll give you a, I'll give you one little piece of coaching right now. And this is something that I, all my coaching is from experience. Um, like I don't coach on anything that I read in a book and then tell like I had to experience it personally. And the one reason that my business has failed uh, when I tried to expand uh, the restaurant business is because I had four business partners and we didn't elect one person who was in charge. Right. And that was like, I think the biggest mistake that we made because no one was accountable to anybody. Right. So everyone was kind of just doing like random tasks and everyone always felt like they were doing more than the other person. Right. So at the time we owned three bars and there was three of us, the main, the main, uh, main owners, what we would have been way better off doing was saying, you are in charge of this bar, you're in charge of this bar, or and you're in charge of this bar, and nothing intertwines. Like, you're responsible for this. But instead, we were trying three people to run, to run three separate establishments all together. It just never worked. So for you guys, especially if there's six of you, really clearly defining your roles or assigning one person, the CEO, that kind of like uh, delegates all the tasks and gives people their own individual responsibilities. Because without that, 
you have no accountability and then everything just gets cloudy and messy. Yeah, that's one thing that I'm I'm pretty glad that we have is that we have Evan, who's our CEO, and he's always very in tune with what's going around, very ha- has that uh, that awareness trait, right? So he's always learning new stuff. And if he didn't know it before, he's going to pick it up. And then he relays it to us in a way that we can learn uh, on the job and very quickly. But he also gives us tasks that he knows that each of us are designed to do. He's a great delegator. And then our other leader, which is our COO, uh, Matthew, he's great with the team and he understands us on a personal level. And so, I mean, I love the team that we have. And then we have Dan, who does a lot of our uh, media. He does a lot of graphic design and designing and he does, you know, websites. And then I do a lot of the business development. So, you know, sales funnels, uh, generating leads and yeah. stuff like that. Good. Yeah, no. Yeah, it sounds like you guys already got it uh, uh, under control over there. So that's good. No, it was really reassuring to hear you say that, though, just to make sure that we're, we're doing something, right? <laughs> But uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, where can everybody find you? I know that you also have your own podcast, Rise Up Rich by you know Dave Haas. Um, check him out. But what are the social? Yeah, well, my social media, everything pretty much is at uh, David F. Haas. That's my middle name, Frank. So in order to get the unique handle, I had to put the F in there. So it's David F. Haas, H-A-A-S. My website is David F or David or David F. Haas.ca because I'm in Canada. We get the .ca, not the .com. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the podcast you already mentioned, Rise Up Rich. Um, I have a YouTube channel, I have Facebook, I have Instagram. So you can you can check me out on all those platforms. And yeah, I'm I'm just about like what we talked about in this podcast. And you know, and what I do on my social platforms is just try and provide as much value as I can all the time, and just spread the message of what I experienced in my life, which was like. I went from the grind and the hustle to, to the flow where uh, when I was grinding and hustling, I felt like I was never getting anywhere and I was burnt out. And then I switched to this, this place of being in flow and abundance. And then all of a sudden, effortlessly and miraculously, everything began to flow into my life, everything that I ever wanted. You know, I have the house, I have the car, I have the boat now. And it's like, I was like, oh, this is what I was missing. And that's ultimately what I, the message I kind of deliver is how I achieved all that in my, on my social platforms. Thank you, Dave, for being on the show. Everybody make sure to go check them out. Rise Up Rich is the podcast. Uh, Instagram, David H. Haas. Facebook, same thing, David H. Haas. Uh, YouTube, and then also check out Treehouse. Website is treehousebarandgrill.com. And their Instagram is Treehouse Windsor. Uh, thank you so much, Dave. It has been a pleasure. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot for